Repentance. This is one of those words that I didn't hear in church much, but either I wasn't paying enough attention when I was young, or it wasn't stressed as much. It was probably that I just wasn't paying enough attention as the mind of a young man is focused on other things. What I do remember is that we must ask for forgiveness for our sins, which I did ask for lots of it. But as I started reading the word on my own, I realized that this is just part of the formula of our sins being forgiven. If you think of your basic algebraic formula like A plus B equals C, we can replace it with repentance plus asking for forgiveness equals forgiveness. I'm simplifying it as the word of God is deeper than this, but for this conversation, we will start here. So, where do we start as we discuss repentance? Repentance is all over the scriptures and is an integral part or element of the story of Israel and of our story as individual believers of the word. Let's start with a basic dictionary definition of repentance. The Webster Dictionary defines it as the action or process of repenting, especially for misdeeds or moral shortcomings. This is a basic and simple definition I think we would all agree on. We can obviously can and will go deeper into understanding what the process is and which misdeeds and moral shortcomings are those we need to repent of according to the word of God and not what the world considers morality. As we know, the scriptures, as we read it in the English language, are a translation of Hebrew or Greek. So one of the actions we need to take to have a better understanding is to look at what the definition of that word is in those languages. Words do not always translate well enough to the English to get a deeper understanding. In the Hebrew, one of the words for repentance is teshuva. The definition of teshuva is returning. But returning from what? We know that we must repent of our sins. So, what is the definition of sin in Hebrew? One of the words for sin in Hebrew is ket, which means to go astray. As I think of the definition of those words of going astray and returning, it reminds me of the well-known story of the prodigal son. So, we're going to use this story to illustrate repentance. Let's quickly go through this story just in case we need a refresher. This story is one of the parables of Jesus and is found in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. This parable, like probably all the parables of Jesus, has multiple layers to it and many lessons you can draw and glean from, but that is for another conversation. For this conversation, we're going to stick to the story as it relates to sin, repentance, and forgiveness. In short, the story is about a father that has two sons. The youngest son wanted his share of his father's inheritance. The father gives it to him and the son goes out to a far country and spends his inheritance away to the point that he must beg the inhabitants of that foreign country for work. It gets so bad that he realizes that his father's servants have it better than him and decides to come crawling back to his father not knowing how his father was going to react. Thankfully, his father is happy to see that he is back and throws a party for him. There is more to the story as the older brothers involved, but we will stop right here. So, the younger son goes astray by going into a faraway foreign land and sins, or as verse 13 states, he squandered his property in reckless living. In verse 29, that he, 
says that he spends his money on prostitutes. We mentioned that a definition of sin is going astray. How does the scriptures define sin? First John chapter three verse four states, "Everyone who makes practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness." End quote. So, sinning is when we go astray from the Word of God, His law, His commandments, and this is what this young son did. We also see the consequences of living in sin in this story, as illustrated in verse six sixteen, when the young man is waiting for the inhabitants of this foreign country to feed their pigs, so he can also eat what the pigs are eating. You must put on your Eastern culture glasses and remove your Western glasses to understand how deeply disturbing this is. This is a Hebrew young man eating next to unclean animals. The Hebrews understood when hearing this story that this young man was eating next to an animal that the holy law of God prohibits to eat. Leviticus 11. Now the young man wasn't eating pig, but as you may know, pigs eat anything that you put in front of them. So this young man, out of hunger, was eating whatever was there. This is a very Visually horrifying and impactful for anyone reading this in the time of Jesus, more than it would be for us. The father in this story represents God, and we are the son, the young son that has broken his holy law by going after the things of this world, and this world will leave us broken and living an unclean life. So, what does this young man? In other words, what do we need to do to get out of this brokenness and uncleanliness? We need to repent, to shuva, to turn away from sin, to turn away from the things of this world, and to turn towards our heavenly Father. And this is what the young man does. He ends he ends coming to his senses, verse seventeen, and that this is no way to live, and decides to go back to his father, God, and ask him for forgiveness. What is so wonderful in our faith is that we just must turn away from sin, and that is all it takes. In other faith, you must do works in order to justify yourself for the things you have done. Now, this doesn't obviously mean that you can go back and sin again, unless you want to go and eat with the pigs. There are consequences to our sins, but the beauty of our God is that as soon as He sees that our hearts have genuinely repented. He is waiting for us with open arms. You can see this in verse twenty, when the young son was still far away, and his father didn't wait for his son to come to him. The father, God, felt compassion for him and ran over to him to embrace him and kiss him. In verse twenty-one, you see the son humbling himself and asking for forgiveness. The young son didn't even feel that he could call himself his son. The father, being such a wonderful father, didn't do what we may expect some fathers to do. He didn't say, "I told you so." He didn't say, "You got what you deserved." He didn't tell him that he had to earn his way back to his home. He did the opposite. He instead, without delay, dressed him with the best and prepared a feast for him. They prepared the fattened calf, which is of cultural and biblical significance, as this is the opposite of the pig. His father, at least twice in the story, expressed that his son was lost and now is found. He was lost to sin. He repented, and now he has been forgiven. 
This concept of repentance is not a new element of our relationship with God. By the time we see John the Baptist and Jesus come to the story, Israel as a people had already gone through plenty of iterations of sinning, repentance, and forgiveness. Obviously, during the time of Jesus, the Israelites are still dealing with sin. Before Jesus came into the picture, it was John that was calling his people to repentance. He knew who Jesus was. John was like a trumpet warning to the people that God, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua our salvation, was coming, and that we needed to repent so our sins can be forgiven. John says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4 through 11, it states, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. End quote. So here in the verses, we see the elements of sin, repentance, and the confessing of sins. After this, you see Jesus being baptized by John and starting his ministry, verse 14, and continuing preaching repentance. On verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. End quote. By Jesus saying that time is fulfilled, he was affirming that prophecy was being fulfilled. This sounds like one of the prophecies of the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus also says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinner to repentance. End quote. And stresses the beginning of Luke 13 that if we do not repent, we will perish. It is clear that the Messiah came to call us out of sin by repenting of our worldly ways. Just like we broke down the meaning of repentance in the Hebrew, we can also do this in the Greek. Repentance in the Greek is called metanoio. We can break down this word in two, meta and noio. Meta means movement or change, and noio refers to our thoughts, meaning that our thoughts need to change. Repentance is not a physical, is not just a physical state of mind, but a mental, and really take it further, spiritual. And this is when God's Holy Spirit comes in place as a helper. All of us struggle in the flesh in some way, and it is tough to stop acting or thinking in sin in our own strength. We need His Spirit to free us completely from our transgressions. This is truly where the concept of being born again comes in place. It is removing our flesh, sin, by repentance and forgiveness and being transformed in spirit. It is just not a verbal declaration, but an action to righteousness. It is a circumcision of the heart, and this is the message that Yeshua Jesus the Christ stated on Luke chapter 24, verse 46-47. Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. End quote. This is the same message that every congregation should be preaching. If you're not in a congregation where this is the primary focus, you should think twice and teshuva out of the air. 
I'm not saying that every single time they do fellowship that there should be this guilt put upon you to repent. But that should be the main message since that is the message of Jesus. And that is what Paul continued when he talked to the Jews and the Gentiles. More of him, in, more of him later. Like I mentioned earlier, this concept of repentance is not new to the so-called New Testament. The Israelites, the Israelites were kicked out of the land or disciplined by God because of their transgressions. We will then see an intercessor that will come and repent for Israel and their sins and ask God for forgiveness of those sins. Let's see two examples, two prophets. In the book of Jeremiah, we see God explain to him that because Israel went after other gods, chapter 1 verse 16, he will judge them accordingly. In chapter 3, starting in verse 6, he calls Israel to repentance. On verse 12, God tells Jeremiah to tell Israel, Go, and proclaim these words toward the Lord, and say, Return, meaning repent. Faithless Israel, declares the Lord, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God. End quote. In chapter 5, Israel refuses to repent. Verse 3. And they even taunt him, saying that he will not do anything to them. Verse 12. But God was just giving them a chance to repent. But eventually, time runs out. And sword, famine, and pestilence falls upon Israel. We see in the rest of the book, God showing Jeremiah what would happen to Israel and Jeremiah pleading with God. The greatness of God is that he keeps his promises. So that means that Israel and his people, you and me, will always remain in covenant with God. But that doesn't mean we don't pay for the consequences of turning our backs on him. By the end of the book of Jeremiah, we see God expressing his faithfulness to forgive Israel and make an everlasting covenant. Chapter 32, verse 36 through 44. Same goes with the prophet Daniel. Daniel and the Israelites have been taken to Babylon, and a lot of interesting things happen in the beginning. But I want to read and focus on chapter 9 because it really is a heartfelt and honest prayer to God as Jeremiah is doing an intercession for Israel. So bear with me. Starting on verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servant, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed His voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He said before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. 
and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are, who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas, for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. End quote. Daniel makes it clear that it is because of their sins that all the calamities have fallen on Israel. And he's pleading with God to remove this punishment from them. You can hear the broken heart, repentance, and acknowledgement of sin from Daniel. I pray that we all come to God in this manner as well. I do hope that you spend some time in these two books and in the Old Testament as we can learn a lot from the character flaws from Israel and see a resemblance in ours as well. So, I said I will come back to Paul as he is placed in such a high position in today's faith, as he should be. But I think we also miss that Paul was also calling for repentance just like the prophets, just like John, and just like Jesus. Let's look at a few verses where he calls for this. But let's also add what Peter preached after Jesus died and was resurrected. A few quotes from Peter. Acts 3.19 Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 5.31 God exalted him to his own right hand as a prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Acts 11.18 When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. From Paul, Acts chapter 20, 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9-10 through 10. Yet, now I am happy, 
not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Romans 2.5 But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. And a few quotes from Jesus from the book of Revelation. Revelation 2.5 Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Revelation 3.3 Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know what time I will come to you. Revelation 3.19 Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Final thoughts. This is a conversation that should stir all of our hearts. I know it does for me. I constantly must pray for the Father to show me where I'm falling short, sinning against Him and my fellow man. I know what is right and wrong. How do I know? The Word of God, the Scriptures tell you what is righteous and unrighteous. So, if I know what is right and wrong, how can I sin? I'll refer to one of my favorite verses in the Scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 9 states, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I must be careful that I'm not deceived by my own heart and by the way of this world. I must be always on alert and not get complacent. I must have a circumcised heart, a change of heart and mind, a renewal of my mind, a renewal of my spirit, but all of this starts with repentance. I pray that His Holy Spirit leads you to true spiritual repentance, asking for forgiveness to God and your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that forgiveness be given to you by God through Yeshua so you can live in peace and love with Him and each other. Until next time. Shalom.